0: listening to the uloft podcast presented by united iup a community of college students and young adults in indiana pennsylvania who are dedicated to unite with each other and christ to change the world around us we hope that this podcast raises questions and answers others while ultimately starting a conversation to discover unifying biblical truth in this chaotic world
1: Welcome to the ULOFT podcast. This is Michael Bond. I am here with Julia Buggy, Caleb Fugate, Patrick Rounds, and Tanner Hoshide.
0: Tanner that
1: hey. I feel like we should have all said something when he said
2: our
3: name. But I thought we were going to as he was going down the line, <laughs> no, but then no, we, we all did. did. We all just looked at each other. Well, the, so. the funny
0: thing is, is I was the first one that was introduced and I sat and waved. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. I just yeah. sat your wave, I didn't say anything. Yeah, you guys didn't see your wave? Come you on. Usually ju- using using uh, visual cues on an audio-only podcast. <laughs> is Sounds really... about right. <laughs> um yeah it would be cool if you guys would say something but that's okay it's it'll come out today anyway. next time yeah um, we, we have a whole crew here uh today there's a lot of people in this room well not really there's only five of us but uh, we're gonna talk about more than normal <laughs> yeah more than more than normal um <clears throat> so what we're gonna do is we're just gonna go around the horn and uh talk <laughs> That phrase was funny to me for some reason. (laughs) (laughs) (coughs) Let's go around the horn, huh? Yeah. uh, (laughs) And we're going to talk about what we learned over the last several weeks of counterculture. So I'm going to go ahead and go first. And I'm just going to say that it seems to me like Christians are always losing the culture war. And I think that's probably by design. I think that if the world system... If the, if the culture that the world that, that comes from the world system embraces and loves Christians, then we're probably not doing certain things right. Uh, I, I'm just reminded of how Christ said that the the world would hate us because they, it hated Him first. And uh, so I, I don't expect that we'll ever win the culture war, but at the same time, I kind it, it feels to me like we're expected to participate in it and to try to win as much of the culture as we can because the culture is where the people are. And so I don't know what your thoughts are as far as anything like that is concerned or if you had anything else that sort of stood out to you. I don't want to
3: call it um, a losing battle, but um, you know, like the life that we're called to as Christians, you know, I've always kind of <laughs> thought of being like not of this world. And so um, you know, like the lifestyle that we live in our walk with Christ, um, <clears throat> and in this in this case, the culture is is not of the world. It's not of culture and how um, people generally conduct themselves or think. Um, and so, I think we're called to um, live a life that is probably never going to look like what the
1: rest of the world acts or thinks like Mm -hmm. and so um yeah that so do you think that we should be careful with how we define world because this is something i've thought about a lot in terms of (coughs) christians cloistering themselves and trying to hide from the world because they don't want i mean we should be in the world but not of the world right but but I think that sometimes the definition of world, and I'm not saying that you're defining it wrong. I'm saying that I think a lot of Christians define it wrong, where they can start to even think that the creation is the world, and they can think in, in, in those terms. And I think you really run into trouble there because then you're not stewarding the creation, then you're not, you're kind of almost, you're, you're thinking of the world as life itself. And where do we where do we put the separation or the delineation between uh just becoming the type of christians who are more like living in monasteries versus (laughs) (laughs) you know being out there and engaging with people um you know and and demonstrating the faith to be able to put ourselves in difficult situations and wear the full armor of god um and be among the godless right so uh, do we need to be careful with how we define world how would you guys define world
2: Two things that come to my mind, um, one of them is kind of an answer to your question, another one has nothing to do with your question, um, <clears throat> just being honest, <laughs> is, you know, when we think of culture wars, I think at a base level, um, we think of it as the world doesn't act in the way, that, like, the world acts differently from how we act as Christians, but truth be told, um, the world on the whole is becoming significantly more religious. Right? Islam and Christianity are taking over in droves across the general populace of the world. Um, when you look at, if you add up Islam and Christians, or uh, Muslims and Christians together, you make up about 3 billion people out of the 8 billion people that exist on this planet. So, one out of every 2.3 people <clears throat> is religious. And if you look at the moral codes of Christians and Muslims, they're actually. Pretty similar in a lot of ways. If you throw Jews in there, that's another uh, couple hundred million people, right? Um, and so the world is becoming more religious, more moralistic in the same way that we think of as Christians. And yet that's not actually what we're striving for, right? So when we think countercultural, we're not, most of the world would say, Being countercultural is just not living in the same way the rest of the world lives but if most of the world is living in the same way that we actually live united states europe being kind of an exception to that um what is countercultural then like because countercultural in a muslim state or even a predominantly christian state um still looks different right so that's a different so it must be something other than moralism right it must be something other than following particular religious things like um don't commit adultery. Don't murder people. Don't steal. Like those are Christian things, but that isn't what being countercultural is. So the next question is, what is actually being countercultural if it's not just a sense of moralism? Because most of the world is pretty moralistic, at least even from a Christian standard, mm-hmm. right? Um, so what is it then, right? Um, the second thing that I had was the the idea of war itself, right? Like we countercultural these culture wars that we have. I think part of the reason that we're perpetually in them is because when you think about battles, when you think about wars, when you look through the scriptures, and if you read Joshua, Judges, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, every other chunk of it is a battle of some sort, right? There's preparation. Um, And either Israel didn't prepare or they did prepare and they won or lost accordingly, right? Um, They counted their soldiers, they got their resources together, they spent a heck of a lot of time praying to God. And they prepared like there was a war coming. And I think part of what we're struggling right now, um, as Christians, particularly in the United States, is twofold. One, we don't know what we're fighting. And two, we aren't prepared. We're not preparing mm-hmm. in a way because right. we don't know what we're fighting. Or are we fighting the sense of moralism? I don't know.
1: Mm-hmm. So, Would you agree then that maybe the greatest threat to the Christian worldview in the United States is not secularism, but is... Progressive Christianity is like a, a branch of Christianity that seeks to unseat God and maybe not. I wouldn't call it progressive
2: Christianity, but I'd say false Christianity, right? And that's nothing new. I mean, we had the Judaizers way back in the day, in the early Christians. It's just like we have made the gospel something that it isn't in a lot of ways, and I think that's kind of the cultural war we're fighting, right? To say. If we are clear in what we stand on with the gospel, then it becomes much more clear what is in opposition to that. And it's not moralism. Or it might be
1: moralism altogether, right? Mm -hmm. I like what you did about um, taking, like, not calling it progressive Christianity, but calling it false Christianity. Uh, Did you do that because you don't want... See, for me, uh, when I think about, like, far-left ideology, I don't like to allow that ideology to use the term progressive, if I can, because it implies that you're progressing towards something good.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: I think that you have to prove that or you have to demonstrate that first. Is that, is that kind of where you were headed with that? Or were, were you just thinking more in terms of how you wanted to? Cause I think it's pretty important that we identify what is, what it is that, that the Christian worldview is where we're finding opposition. Mm-hmm. And if we can identify that, and and i think you're right about the more we clearly articulate what we believe and the way that we see things then the more clearly we can identify the other yeah (laughs)
3: um
1: i think the reason I, i choose the word
2: false christian is because um so when i was in divinity school um I'm pretty sure it was a a relatively moderate divinity school because all of the conservative folks thought it was wildly progressive and all of the progressive folks thought it was wildly conservative, which means it had to have been somewhere in the middle. Um, And one thing I think I learned while I was there, and I learned more things than just this, but, um, is that like both of them, both progressive and conservative sides of Christianity have a purpose. um, Where conservative Christianity gets stuck and doesn't ever try to expand their understanding of, like, this infinite God that we serve. Um, Progressive Christianity, I think, tries to push that to expand what we know of. But the bad side of that is sometimes you can expand too far, and the conservative end of it keeps things kind of in rain. But you've got to have both, because we do serve an infinite God. And I find myself getting locked in boxes far too often, because I'm not um, ready to look outside of what I know to be my experience of God, right? Um, So I think you need both. And that's why I'm less dubious about progressive Christianity or whatever we define that as, and more dubious about false Christianity because you have false conservative Christianity too. Oh, for sure. You know, it's not about conservative progressive. It's about gospel or not.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You have to have a tension between we can call it left and right. And when people ask the question of, how much tension, I think the answer is, we don't know, and it changes all the time. Yeah. And so it's hard to pin down exactly, like, where the, sorry, I'm laughing, because Julia has a really funny joke that she wants to share with everybody.
0: <laughs> i silently dying for about two minutes, I'm over here sweating and crying, trying not to laugh. All that happened is that it came <laughs> an unexpected burp that <laughs> really surprised him.
2: <laughs> but I held it in and just kept going.
0: <laughs> I, I'm sorry, that's all. <sighs> all right, but Pat, you're out. Yeah. <laughs> okay, now I can actually listen. I was tuned out for two minutes because I didn't know what was coming up
3: out of your throat. We can get through this podcast without any more bodily functions. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be in good shape. Yeah,
2: about that? <laughs> You know, I was, so I was reading a book. This has <laughs> nothing to do with counterculture, <laughs> but to the point that you just made. I was, I was reading a book um, by one of my professors from divinity school called um, getting intimate with God, reading the old Testament, something along those lines. That's not the exact title, um, but she was talking about the Psalms and how practical they are because they are so, so human, mm-hmm. right? right. right? Yeah. yeah. Like the sixth psalm in I don't know, pretty early on, it's like, I have drowned my mattress in tears. It yeah. has melted. It's like, what? <laughs> or like, yeah. I wish my enemies would die by melting on a hot road like a slug. Right. Yeah. Like bodily functions are not out of the question yeah, for right. Psalms or for God, right? Yeah, Tell like, how you really feel. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I mean, he made us to function the way that we are. Are
0: so you justifying it's... your burp? <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. I was, right, I'll uh, take it. That was
1: a good connection. Me like, of the Psalms. Me of the
4: Psalms. <laughs> I was like, how did the psalms, what did Psalms have to do with bodily functions? and the it's way human. burps and <laughs> anything else. I don't know, I'm sure there's this. Is, I, haven't, I don't know all the songs off the top of my head, Oh, trust me, I don't either.
0: <laughs> I'm yeah, sure. There's one about
2: I burp see in where there. You're, I'm sure. see you're going, though. Yeah. Anyway, so countercultural.
0: Yeah, I'm sorry, that was all my fault. <laughs>
2: That's totally <fine. laughs> I think it was mine, actually.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, it, it was, but uh, I could have reacted differently. Team effort.
1: Yeah. <laughs> That's it's one of those
0: things where you're supposed to be quiet, though, and it makes everything way funnier.
1: That's why people love podcasts. <laughs> That's um, right. So... Pat, Tanner, do you guys have anything in that vein of thought?
3: The um, false Christianity thing definitely um, has been something that I've been uh, rattling back and forth in my brain because I think that's um, something that a lot of us grew up around seeing a lot of our um, friends (laughs) live in. um, And it's kind of the accepted... Yeah, uh, you know, I go to church with my family on the the, the big holidays or, you know, like, uh, you know, I, I love God. I know God, um, but I don't necessarily subscribe to, like, anything that has to do with the life that he asks us to live or the things that he asks us to lay down. So mm-hmm. uh, I think, like, in regards to counterculture, um, it's even in in, like, counter this this false Christianity of um, like when we're called to um, follow Jesus in a way that um, actually transforms our lives and actually transforms the way that we live and that we think um, it's still even different from just saying that you love God um, mm-hmm. or going to you know the creaster services. You know what I mean. Yeah, right. Christ- is, <laughs> <laughs> if it's <laughs> if it's not uh, if it's not a, a full transformation of, uh, you know, mind, soul, and body, um, mm. then it it doesn't doesn't fit.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. I like that. It's almost like um, from the moment you become a Christian, you're you are countercultural in the sense that if you're not transforming, then. Somehow you were Christ-like without Christ, which isn't possible. Right. right, so mm-hmm. so you'd have to you'd have to have a death and a rebirth, and so in, in the sense that who you were before Christ has to you have to let that go and allow the Spirit of God to sanctify you and transform you into closer to the image of Christ, and that that by itself starts us off sort of behind the eight ball when it comes to being countercultural because Mm -hmm. we have a lot in front of us that needs to be done and needs to be filtered out through us and um and so even on a personal level i mean you can talk you can talk in in terms of on a collective level with the culture but even on a personal level too you have that transformation right off Mm -hmm. the bat so i like that uh, just another thought that I had, so I don't want to steal off of Tanner's time to
3: respond over here. But I'll talk about dude! Don't worry about <laughs> it. <laughs> you know, like Caleb mentioned, I you know, and I think it's really cool how um, you know, like uh, religion is on the rise, and I think this is um, particular to um, the millennial and younger generation. Is that I think younger people are tired of the fakeness, right? Tired yeah. of the um, kind of just like blanket Christianity it doesn't actually mean anything, doesn't change anything about your life. Um, I know there's been moments between all of us in this room that we've talked about experiencing that frustration in our own lives where um, you know this whole transformation thing it, it needs to it needs to actually happen and not uh, not Say your one thing and still stay in the place that mm. you were always in. Mm-hmm. So, sure. <clears throat> so,
4: wow! I just blanked on everything. That they
1: said.
4: <laughs> <laughs> it's gone. Um,
0: uh, full transformation <clears throat> equals real Christianity. Oh, right, right, right. I,
4: I, I, got my Christian
0: series. I grabbed it before I left.
4: So. <laughs> I think there, there's a certain number of people that are tired of blanket <clears throat> Christianity that doesn't, you know, it's like, oh, I'm a Christian, but I don't, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I go to the creasters And that's it. And I, I have met Christians who are like, man, I'm tired of living this half-Christian, half-worldly life. And I mean, <clears throat> I was one of those. But I feel like, more often than not, in my experiences and the people that I've talked to, um, people will you know they are they go to the creature services, they call themselves a quote unquote Christian, whether they live uh, the life God has called them or not. You know, I'm not going to judge them either way, but more oftentimes than not, um, I see that they just turn away from religion altogether as opposed to going deeper and really kind of trying to find that man like I see other people like man they seem so fulfilled like so Mm -hmm. full of the Holy Spirit like all this (laughs) stuff like why don't I have that and then they're Mm -hmm. like well I don't know I didn't find it I'll give up you know I'll just live my life then if it's not going to work for me. You know, I mean, in my experiences, I've talked to people that are like, all right, whatever. And it comes to that as opposed to digging deeper and, you know, being countercultural and really when people encounter you, you know, they see God and they can tell something's different. Mm
3: -hmm. Well, I think like... When you're surrounded by Christianity that really isn't any different than the rest of the world, what's the appeal? What's the
1: point? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm
3: -hmm. Nothing is really even different.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's always been the argument against churches that are trying to be like seeker sensitive in the wrong way because i like i'm not against seeker sensitivity in principle but if you're doing it by trying to emulate the culture you're probably always going to be like two or three steps behind where the culture actually is and so instead of instead of appearing hip you're going to appear like an old timer who thinks he's hip or who, who thinks he or she is hip and so I think that. <laughs> you that, try to call me out? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, say, I think that's me. <laughs> maybe, I'm the,
4: maybe I'm the reverse of that since everyone thinks I'm a boomer.
1: I mean, I, I think ultimately. Um, Many different models can work for evangelism as long as they're biblical and and you're being authentic. Right. And so if you're not coming off pitchy and kind of like a salesperson, then that's you know I think that that oh, uh,
2: people see that a mile away. So it's like don't even oh, bother, yeah. right? You know, for sure, like churches shouldn't even bother with that.
1: Okay, so here's a question: If we are if we have something like a revival that's about to happen, mm-hmm. how do we how do we uh, help? direct the course of something like that so that you don't end up with a whole generation of kids who are spiritual but not religious right so kids that are kind of like oh i'm so spiritual and then but but there's no there's no worldview there there's no structure there's no uh, way of discernment in that
4: could you elaborate on that a little bit
1: Okay so like
4: they're more spiritual
1: as so, opposed to religious. Right and and they, they tend to get stuck in stuff and things like vipassana meditation so that would mm-hmm. be like mindfulness. I'm so mindful. I want to go be mindful, right? They might they might be feeling the urge to pray but they don't know what prayer really is. They don't they're not They don't know Christ. They don't have anyone in their life to speak into them that way. So they just resort to something like mindfulness or something like meditation. That's pretty common lately, I think. And also this sort of this idea of wanting to search for meaning in places uh, where maybe there really isn't meaning. So searching for meaning in, in places outside of God. And I think this is also why people are so stringent about their activism, because their activism is their source of meaning. That's right. what's coloring their mm-hmm. worldview with meaning and purpose. Yeah. And that to me is the consequence of a young generation of kids who are hungry for God, uh, but they don't have the word of God in their life. They don't mm-hmm. have anyone speaking into them and providing that structure in that worldview development. So for me, it seems like the, the issue that we have is one of worldview development, that, uh, that the hearts are, the the harvest is ripe, so to speak, but we, but we need to, uh, help direct the course for them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I I think that's hard. I think that's harder. That's almost harder than evangelism, because if you're kind of doing like a one and done evangelism, um, you you know, where, I met this person, I told them the gospel in three minutes, and then they, fell out of my life right that's totally different than shaping Mm -hmm. somebody across time Mm -hmm. and mentoring them and discipling them yeah yeah
2: which is like if you look at Paul's ministry throughout Acts in particular um, he is at most places that he stops for for a couple months right like he stays there he um, pours into people over time um, so that's not just like hey I showed up because I'm doing this traveling tour and I'm a great speaker and everyone loves listening Mm to me Mm -hmm. Um, which I see a plethora of an abundance of in Christianity today. Like we have a lot of speakers. We don't have a lot of, um, people pouring into other people. Frankly speaking, like you might receive the gospel and the good news of seed might've been planted through one of those events, but discipleship does not happen through those events. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Right. right. Um, and like you said, we're in a severe lack of discipleship. We're not in a severe lack of gospel preaching. Um, mm-hmm. we've got plenty of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we've got to find ways to make that, um, more prominent in people's lives. And one of the things that's just been cropping back into my mind, you know, Jesus says, um, at one point in time, um, my ministry here, all that I'm trying to do is to seek and save the lost, right? Mm-hmm. And who are the lost is the question then, um, or how are people lost might be a better question. Mm -hmm. And for maybe our generation, it looks like this spiritual but not religious, Mm -hmm. right? Um, But for a lot of people, Pharisees included, like, you know, Pharisees would probably be considered Mm -hmm. on our side of the culture wars, right? Because they did everything right by the book, um, and they were, presumably bringing forward the kingdom of God and its message when in reality as Jesus calls them out on multiple occasions like that was not the case and so it's like how are people hearing the gospel but not letting it not letting the Holy Spirit transform their lives is really Mm -hmm. kind of what we're battling I think at this moment and it Mm -hmm. takes on different forms um, and I think generationally speaking, it takes on different forms as well.
1: Yeah, and that's kind of just going to what you're saying. I, th- I think that one of the dangers of not discipling and not helping to develop people and give them that structure is that it, it's one thing to be spiritual but not religious and not have a worldview, but eventually you can't really go very long without some way of interpreting the world. And so what mm-hmm. ends up happening is they get a, a sense-making Apparatus, like a worldview that is that is wrong, that's pathological, and that right. usually is missing forgiveness and redemption. And I think that that's something that's characteristic of, of cancel culture and of the far left ideology is that, that that they have dropped in a structure, they have dropped in a, a, a worldview, but not, but but th- this worldview is divorced from Christ. Th- th- I, I don't. I want to be careful about that because I don't want to say that everyone who's left of center is <laughs> not Christian. That's definitely not where I'm it's going. Not what we're saying, people. Yeah. <laughs> but if you if you fill the void with something apart from what is taught in Scripture then you're going to end up with a structure that is probably missing forgiveness and redemption. Right. And yeah. that's that's a, that's a huge, crucial issue, I think, because that can happen in both directions, right? If, yep. if you go too far to the right, you, f- you find people who they have entire swaths of, of populations that they consider irredeemable. And yeah. that's where you get things like genocides born of claims of ethnic supremacy and stuff like that is usually a far right problem. And then mm-hmm. on the far left, you have something like intolerance masquerading as compassion and tolerance. Something right. like that. Right. Mm-hmm. Do you guys have any thoughts on on uh, how we can, do we do it relationally? Because I think that this is sometimes used as a loaded gun against bigger churches, and I think it's used improperly that way. Because I don't think that the bigger church is necessarily uh, handicapped when it comes to relational development and discipleship. I Mm -hmm. think that actually can happen from a big stage. I think, Mm -hmm. and the reason is because I think that a speaker can cultivate, uh, they can help, they can help their people develop a worldview wherein they are improving their own relationships within their own sphere. So like yeah. the, in their own home, you can teach people that way. Mm-hmm. You can teach people a lot about that without ever having met them. Yeah. Um, and if you can help develop their relational capacity, mm-hmm. then in their own life, they'll, they will they uh, will participate in that sort of relational uh, discipleship with their friends and their neighbors, mm-hmm. and then it'll sort of multiply. And I think that you can have a, a, a source in a big church that is doing that yeah. but I, I also think it happens pretty well in the small churches I don't think that this is a matter of volume I think mm-hmm. it's a matter of what's being said mm. yeah. so do you have any thoughts on how to develop people in the context of relationships
3: I'm, I'm gonna say I, I have two things on my mind the first being um, I do think a lot of progress is made in the way of, uh, not just relationships, but, um, relationships that are, um, real in terms of the conversations that you're having and, um, the transparency that is there, um, as far as like, um, each other's like walk with Christ. Yeah. Um. And so I think for a generation of young people that are kind of tired of the um, fake service lef- surface-level Christianity, um, and this was something that really broke down a lot of walls for me, was that um, through relation and through um, having people be um, truly transparent with me about their walk with Christ, um, that yeah. it kind of um, it illuminated, uh, a lot of things, um, and like helped to make sense a lot, um, of things in regards to like my walk with Christ. Um, but I think like the second thing that goes along with that is, um, empowerment and like good leaders empower people that, um, they're leading. And so like, um, whenever we're trying to disciple people and, um, you know, like better them in their walk with Christ, then we go and we empower them um, to go forth and um, disciple other people, be transparent with other people. And like, so you talked about like um, other people's spheres of influence. And so I might not be able to reach a million people by myself, but through the 10 people that I disciple over my lifetime, those people go and they disciple 10 people and you mm-hmm. know, like math mm-hmm. and that all multiplies sure. and <laughs> everything. So and math and the next thing you know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so Be fruitful I, in math. A, it is a two-step process, I think, because I think a lot of what our generation needs is not um, a bit more of, um, I can't remember the, the, the term you used earlier, Michael, it it was pretty good, but just basically like, um, being politically correct in everything that you say and making sure that nobody's feelings get hurt in the conversation that you have. And sometimes it's not like that. The conversations that you have have to be real and they have to involve, Mm -hmm. um, difficult things that people are going through. Um. And I think the the reality is, is the the walls don't come down and progress isn't made and your relationship with God isn't really ever developed and there's not ever really any trust there until yeah. those things um, are discussed among people, but yeah. then also mm-hmm. like brought forth uh,
1: in yeah. your relationship with God, and then and this can be the question that we'll wrap up on. I agree with you, Pat, that if if we're living in a cancel culture or or something that is very, uh, has a high sensitivity towards political correctness, it creates an environment where it's nearly impossible to hold people accountable for things that they're doing in their life. And it sounds strange because that's almost like what cancel culture is trying to do, except it's doing it in a way that's, that's seeking to make you irredeemable. It's not seeking to teach you or develop you. So it's kind of like the difference. uh, I had a teacher once tell me that there was a difference between a teacher and an expert and that you could sit down with an expert and they might just tell you all the areas where you're wrong and then let you go. Whereas like a teacher would still Mm -hmm. need to point out those areas, but with an eye towards making you better and helping you. And so the issue then is that if, if in order to participate in polite society, you have to say that everyone is perfect just the way they are, then there's no accountability there. There's no way of teaching and developing people. There's no way that you can learn because Mm -hmm. in order to learn, you have to admit that there's something insufficient about yourself the way that you are. And that's really painful individually. And it's even more so painful when the culture's trying to tell you that, no, you're, you're perfect. And so, Mm -hmm. yeah, uh, do you have any, any, anybody have any thoughts on that before we close. So your little uh, expert to teacher analogy, uh, taking that one step further um, to,
4: you know, being discipled by someone and discipling someone, you know, you're essentially just having them join you in life and your walk with Christ. And, you know, you, you guys might not have all the answers, like an expert will have all the answers and just tell you where you're wrong. A teacher might not have all the answers but has the majority of them and they help you to get better you know in the sense of discipleship you are going through life with uh, another believer and you guys are doing it together and when you know a problem arises you know you have someone to go to they might not have the answers but I mean we have all the answers we need in the Bible and if you have someone that is discipling you, then I think that's even better than having someone who is, you know, a teacher, quote unquote, or an expert. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Having that relationship is a crucial part of it because then you know that they're invested in you and that they care about you. Yeah, exactly. And they're doing it Mm -hmm. because of the value that's within you. Exactly. (laughs)
3: <laughs> oh, sorry,
1: Caleb. I only
3: have like a quick, go and then I'll it. let you go. Just in the context of cancel culture and what you just said, Tanner, about like when your your um you know a problem does come up or you're wrong and you're basically on your own at that point. Um, you know, God tells us to love other people as God has loved us, and so. Um, when we're able to walk alongside another believer in the things that we're going through or I'm able to come alongside somebody else that is going through something difficult I'm doing it from the context of loving them or forgiving them or blessing them because God did that for me first yeah, and I think them where they are. yeah and I think that is that that's completely lost that's not that's not the way yeah. the world works Mm-hmm. So go right, ahead, mm-hmm.
2: Caleb. Some, something that came to mind when you brought up that teacher um, expert analogy. So I've been going through the Book of Mark recently, um, which is just a fascinating book. It's got double the like demon, exor like exhortate, what the word I'm looking for when he casts out the demons. <laughs> exorcism. <laughs> yeah, exor- exorcism. Um, it's got like double the healings. It's got like you know all of the. It seems like Mark is just like all of the bad things that can happen in this world crammed in one book and Jesus meets meets it head on. But there's this one story, I think it's in Mark 5, um, where this guy with this withered hand shows up to Jesus and says, I need healing. And what's so fascinating is that it talks about the experts of the law show up, right? And they ask Jesus, because this is on a Sabbath and he's not supposed to heal on the Sabbath. He says, are you supposed to heal on, do work on the Sabbath? Um, being experts in the law. And Jesus asked them a question back. He says, is it better, um, is it wrong for me to leave someone to their death on the Sabbath, or should I bring life, right? And we get this play between an expert in the law, who as Jesus sees it, is bringing death upon this person, and Jesus, who is his teacher of a Mm -hmm. law, bringing life, right? And so I think what we're called today and then he heals the guy with the withered hand and he goes on his way and he says hey don't go tell anyone and the guy goes and tells everyone mm-hmm. yeah. um but like the the part of the truth in that is i think if we're truly trying to be counter-cultural what culture brings is death but what we bring is life mm-hmm. and so whatever you are seeing in culture that is death our response to that is bringing life and right. so even if it looks like i was saying i think of that initial question that I asked, like the world is becoming really moral um, mm-hmm. across the board, but moralism doesn't bring life. Mm-hmm, like right. only Jesus Christ and the grace found in his salvation yeah. brings life. And so mm-hmm. we are called to be um, people of life and light yeah. in for the sure. midst of darkness. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and think... that's what I think Jesus kind of demonstrates. For Definitely. Us that. And
1: that's that's like the perfect difference between um, moralism for with the intention of, like, self-aggrandizement and mm-hmm. pride. Look yeah. how moral I am. Right. Versus, word. <laughs> versus <laughs> trying to uh, speak life into somebody. Yeah. Like, one of the things whenever I think when you're developing somebody is to, to think in terms of perfect is the enemy of excellent, right? So if you're striving for perfect, you will miss excellent, and you'll also miss perfect. Right. And mm-hmm. whereas mm-hmm. if you're aiming at excellence, Yeah. But understanding, that's, I mean, that's why we need forgiveness and why we need redemption. And to, to live in a worldview that's absent of that, which mm-hmm. so many people are living in right now, has yeah. to be crushing. It has to be, it leads to lying. I mean, everybody just lies to each other about yeah. the, their problems or their right. issues. And Or what if we said, how are you doing? Well, let me tell you, I drowned my mattress in tears last night. Right. <laughs> yeah.
0: Like, what if
2: we were more honest yeah. like that? For sure. This makes
0: me think of, I've been thinking about this the whole time, but the difference between reaching people in a way that's countercultural is not just a moral delivery of wanting to throw evangelism on somebody but a Jesus uh, delivery and I mean that like Caleb the story that you were just talking about how Jesus asked the question like is it is it more lawful for me to heal on the Sabbath when I'm technically not supposed to even though my father is the one who made the law and I'm a son right. <laughs> or like you think about um, in the garden with Adam and Eve, where he asks, where are you? And he knew exactly where they were. He, he wanted them to answer. Or you think about um, the questions that uh, God asks, who do you, or Jesus, who do you say that I am? Mm. And it makes them stop and think for a second. And uh, they, they have to come up with, with an answer. So I think part of a Jesus delivery in meeting a culture that's lost is lovingly asking them why it is they do what they're doing. And I have a friend um, from high school that we uh, experienced some space. Once I went to college, she went to college. Um, Parents got divorced, went through a rocky stage, and I would just periodically meet with her, and she was super into spiritual things, so much so that I almost felt like I was in a spirit of darkness around her. (laughs) She was super spiritual but didn't have the religion component and I would just start to ask questions. And I'm not saying this as, a, like, from a point of, listen to this, this is how I did the right thing. But, like, I just uh, chose to approach it differently. And it's been such a more gentler and loving approach that she's become interested in mm-hmm. Christianity because of it. Because yeah, it would be like, yeah. okay, so you, you're you seeing numbers all the time. And you believe in numbers. And you believe in this. Or you believe in that. Or, okay, can you tell me why? Why does this make you yeah. feel good? What... Um, Okay, where, where's your truth and belief in this? And then you see their gears start to turn and not be able to come up with answers because they're not looking in God's word. And then the, they start asking you. Mm-hmm. And then you have not like an answer that's an attack that's like, well, here's the right thing. But it's like, well, this is what I know to be true through God's word and here's the print that you yeah. can go and look at it yeah. and see for yourself.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I you really know. I really like that point, Julia. One of my favorite examples of of what I think is an idea like that is Christ on the cross whenever he says my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, he knows that God hasn't forsaken him. Right. But he says it, and I think one of the reasons why he says it is because He's, it's an open acknowledgement that life in this world can become so difficult that I, even I, can doubt the goodness of God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that and, and that honesty and that openness, uh, sho- I think it shows us that, and I think that whenever you're trying to help teach someone or develop somebody, you can say to them, look, I know that things are really difficult for you. I know that you have these issues and I have these issues, but we have faith that the good mm-hmm. inside of us, that, that we can overcome these things, through the power of christ despite the reality of the situation on the ground and and so i think that that's that's kind of how i mm-hmm. how i hear what you're saying hey everybody uh that's going to wrap up this episode of the uloft podcast i just want to remind you all that uh, you should come out to united it's at the indiana theater on philadelphia street uh it's at 7:27 p.m there's lots of really cool people there you'll hear good speakers good music and you will make lots of really good friends thank you all for Listening and we will see you in the next episode.
0: Thanks for listening to the ulock podcast presented by United IUP. If you would like to join our community, visit UnitedIUP.com or follow us on Instagram at United IUP. United meets every Tuesday at 727 p.m. in the Indiana Theater, located at 637 Philadelphia Street in Indiana, PA. Come live United.